This is Auto Line This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. Auto Line This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode. Hi, I'm John McElroy, and welcome to AutoLine This Week. Boy, have we got a terrific show today. This is something of a breakthrough, and I can't wait to get into the discussion. All around the country, states and municipalities are facing problems with rebuilding their roads. Where's the money all going to come for all of this stuff? Concurrent with that, we have electric cars where people are very concerned about range anxiety. How far can they go with their electric charge? Well, today we're going to talk about a technology that might solve both of those problems electrified roadways. And I've got three terrific guests to talk all about this, including Tim Sylvester. He's the CEO of a company called Integrated Roadways, which makes smart roads. Jeremy McCool is the CEO and founder of a company called Heva, which does wireless charging. And Michelle Mueller is the senior project manager for connected and automated vehicles for the state of Michigan, and you're about to find out why they're all here on this show. But Tim, let me start with you. What are smart roadways and what role does integrated roadways play in all that? Yeah, uh, so smart roadways are roads that support connected electric and autonomous vehicles with built-in capabilities like data collection, communications, wireless charging, and I founded Integrated Roadways in order to develop these technologies and then help um, cities, states, contractors, managed service providers, and all of the other stakeholders in the industry be able to take advantage of these new capabilities for these uh, emerging vehicles. Great. And we'll get into more details of that. And, and Jeremy, uh, you're doing uh, wireless charging. Explain how that all works in a roadway. Good to be here and good to see you, Tim and team. So uh, thanks a lot for bringing us on to this, John. Yeah, the wireless charging is is really the next stage in the evolution of electric vehicles. And what it really stages up for is the ability to eliminate range anxiety, right? That's the biggest problem that we have today with electric vehicle adoption. And it's been clear that that has been stagnating the, the adoption for many years now. So the way that we can get around that is to make it as easy of a user experience, if not even better of a user experience than using petrol and wireless roadways does that. So you're, you're literally putting electricity into the road. Yeah, but very safely. <laughs> and also it can be used in any kind of environment. So you got to take into consideration anything from a hot or very cold environment, but also how it's installed into the roadway. So when we got teamed up with Tim, and his team, they had brought to the table this really interesting new form of concrete, this pre-formed slab that is built from this industrial hemp. Uh, so it's a very safe and sustainable type of material. And with that, it's also hermetic and it allows our system to safely operate within it. Now, the other side of this story is, is that vehicles have to be equipped with the correct technology. So we have to also see that automakers or as an aftermarket solution adopt this in so that the vehicles have the correct equipment to collect a charge while it's driving. But with that technology, and by the way, that technology does exist today, the vehicles would be able to collect eight, 10 miles of extended range for every one mile driven at highway speeds which is really remarkable. When you, when you think about what that means in terms of power capacity, you can be charging a vehicle at hundreds of kilowatts 
even up in the megawatt level, the batteries on the vehicles can actually manage that. So what we're working on with Tim and team here is a way to help them meet the overall criteria of what their entire purpose is as a company. And certainly what we're trying to do on our side is be purpose built to accelerate EV adoption and be the killer to range anxiety. Now, I know the audience is drinking from a fire hose as you talk here, and we'll get into more of those details in a minute, how this all works. Michelle, you're with the state of Michigan, the Department of Transportation. What is the state's interest in all this? Yeah, so thank you very much for having me, and, and nice to uh, be on a call with you, Tim and Jeremy both. Um, so uh, the state of Michigan is, is very interested, obviously. Um, we are you know, a very innovative state. Um, I handle our, uh, as you said, John, our connected, automated, and now electrification area. Um, so we do work as well um, with our other state agencies, which many of you are familiar with is probably Eagle and the Office of Future Mobility in this space. Um, so really understanding how we can bring different technologies to the state of Michigan to benefit our citizens. So I think it's one of those things, um, you know, as we look to deploy this pilot, um, that we have under contract is um, really addressing a lot of the things that um, Jeremy was discussing. Uh, there is a lot of range anxiety. Um, so we have to understand um, how does this technology work? And we know that this you know, um, minimum mile segment we're putting in is not gonna charge a vehicle full capacity. But what we want to do is we want to extend that ability to make a trip, maybe to get home or to their office or to run errands um, whatever their situation individually may be. And this is an opportunity to do that testing, understand in real world conditions and four season weather, all of these things that great things Michigan has to offer is how does this technology perform? Um, how does it perform in the infrastructure and how does it perform and integrate with different modes of transportation? Um, you know, it's not only passenger vehicles that we're looking at, it's also transit, um, freight type vehicles, last mile delivery type vehicles, you know, those different scenarios and, you know, they will potentially function differently um, and they'll have different needs within the system. Michelle, that's all cool and everything. But the thing that I got really excited about this is that the state would not pay to put in these roads. Private industry would pay for it, right? So potentially um, we don't have all the answers. There is um, different business models that we will look at as part of this pilot project. Um, this project was funded with some um, state money, but then it was also um, had the project that we're doing had a required match. And then actually the selected partners brought um, a substantial amount of money to the table for the project as well um, to be able to do this pilot here in Michigan. So what those business models look like at this point, John, I don't know. Um, but that's one of the reasons we do these pilots here in Michigan is to start answering those questions. Okay, but I see Tim's nodding his head. So, Tim, <laughs> pick it up from there. there. Here's an opportunity maybe to rebuild roads without taxpayer money being involved. That's exactly right, John. And that's what we're trying to do with integrated roadways. There's so much commercial demand for wireless charging, for traffic data, for um, connected vehicle technologies, navigation for autonomy and all of these represent new sources of revenue that can be generated from treating these as a managed service. And we deal with managed services day in and day out, the internet, cellular, all of our utilities. And so the question is, if public agencies are struggling to fund core infrastructure needs and they're being asked to invest in all of these new technologies for advanced mobility, and yet all of this is predicated on commercial demand for these capabilities. 
why not just leverage those commercial sources of revenue to actually pay for the improvements? And that way, the uh, the the role of the state or the public works department can be more like a real estate manager as opposed to the primary source of funds. And that actually addresses um, huge issues with federal funding, with public financing and procurement. Um, and there's, I mean, there's a lot of things to get into here, but the point is, if the commercial demand is there and if the parties are willing to fund these improvements on behalf of the state in order to get uh, these new capabilities delivered, why not let them? And that way we have as much access to funding as is needed to deliver these improvements instead of having to constantly go back to the feds and ask for new legislation, new funding methods, whether it's the, uh, the state legislature raising fuel taxes or you know, local city council raising sales taxes, why not just lean on all of the commercial demand for these services to generate the revenues required to repay the investment? And Tim, go through some of that. How, how do you make money off a road without charging tolls or anything like sure, that? Sure, sure. Well, let's take wireless charging, for example. Wireless charging is a convenience for a passenger vehicle. It's a luxury. It's a very valuable one. But for commercial fleets, it's a necessity because a commercial driver can only drive for about 10 hours a day. Um, and so if they have to stop every couple hours and plug in for 30, 45 minutes, that is a huge amount of economic value that's being lost where the driver could continue transporting the goods. So if we take advantage of that opportunity cost of them not driving and charge fees that are, that are sufficient enough to fund the power systems and the road improvements, and yet still cost less to the business than the driver not driving, they're going to be able to pay for that. And that is going to drive the adoption of commercial fleets, which justify the investment in um, long distance connections, but then you have local transit. If you're moving your bus system um, to electric, uh, you can improve segments of the roadway and those road segments are just as valuable to local deliveries, the, you know, the white box trucks, um, all of these different businesses beyond the transit authorities have a need to access this sort of technology. And I mean, it goes beyond just wireless charging. When you have traffic data collection, for example, collecting traffic data uh, costs a huge amount of money. Public agencies may pay $20,000 to $40,000 per location per day to get traffic data. And yet, if you can improve the road with wireless charging and it automatically collects traffic data, at the cost of electricity, and then you can monetize this to the local economy. It's the um, property managers, it's the brick and mortar tenants, somebody running a restaurant, somebody running a coffee shop or retail store. So John, there's so many different ways to look at it. How can roads make money is like asking, how can the internet make money? Well, there's uh, no end of different business models that are available if the roadways are equipped with the technology that's required to actually deliver those services and capabilities that people will pay for. Mm -hmm. what, what a concept, taking roads from a, you know, a major cost to actually making money. It, it's brilliant. Jeremy, I'm sure a lot of the audience watching right now is saying, well, well, wait a minute. How do you get electricity into a car when it's going 70 miles an hour down the road? I know it's inductive charging, but explain a little bit simply 
how that all works and what somebody would experience driving an electric car on one of these powered roadways. Sure. So first we can think of it like the same way that you would consider wireless charging for a mobile phone. But the difference is, is that this technology is much more efficient from end to end. So we're talking about technology in the 91 to 94% efficiency from grid or from power to the battery. That makes it equivalent to what you get from plug and charging. And the other side of that is we utilize this unique version of wireless charging called uh, electromagnetic uh, resonance or, or frequencies that do tune to a specific frequency for wireless EV charging, which is 85 kilohertz. And that is the standard that has been adopted by all major automakers around the world. And it's standardized in the SAE as well. So the core ingredients here are, it must meet a very specific efficiency requirement. It must meet a very specific frequency requirement. And that puts it into then the safety rating. And that allows us to connect and be able to do this uh, with other certifications such as UL, or underwriters laboratories. Yeah, just, just just to make it clear, it's not like you're going to step on a powered roadway and get electrocuted. No, uh, we, we certainly don't think that's also the right way to do business too. Uh, and I don't think that's what we're in. Uh, anybody would ever intend for it. But no, really what, what's interesting is that you can uh, be totally in the area, around the area, it's, it's completely safe and certainly inside your car. There's no uh, change to the electromagnetic field so what, 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 wait, what, what about people with pacemakers? Are they safe? Yeah, absolutely. Because that frequency is specifically dedicated to wireless EV charging. It's not on the same frequency as you would get with a pacemaker. Also, it takes into account all other remaining principal type of technologies around the vehicle, grid, things that we had to standardize and certify against. So there's quite a bit of, of elements to it, but in the very, very simplicity of this is that it's a much more highly efficient, much more powerful form of wireless EV charging than what you would see from like a mobile phone. I, I do want to hit one last thing real quick, John, is, and, and this is to Michelle and the MDOT team, is that it's pretty remarkable uh, what they have done with making this decision to test track the first one mile of roadway. It, that needs to have an applause to it because this is going to be the first place in the world that vehicles will be able to drive publicly on a wireless EV charging lane and be able to charge on it as long as they've got the correct equipment on the vehicle and it doesn't matter what kind of car that is it just has to be properly equipped the the second side of this though is something that's really understated is what it will do potentially for dot's not just here in the states but effectively around the world which is as we've seen, electric vehicles and hybrids have really decreased the level of tax revenues over time that are typically used to build out roadways. And so those tax revenues typically coming from fuel taxes. And because of fuel efficiency and because of electrification, yeah, there's less of it. So this is a way for us to be able to provide meaningful revenue back to the states back to the countries of origin where they have been seeing losses of tax revenue and be able to do it in a meaningful way that provides revenues for all parties involved, including not only the technology and production uh, side of the house and those providers, but also the government and even the automakers. Automakers stand a chance to be able to have a long-term revenue opportunity here as well. 
with these dynamic wireless roadways. Hmm. Wow, great point. Yeah, and thanks, uh, I guess, John, what I would add is thanks, Jeremy, for that. Um, we are very proud of it um, here, and we are very lucky, to be honest, to, to have our leadership um, that is very, you know, much supportive of technology, and we have for years. So um, we are fortunate there. I think the other piece I would add is in, you know, with the um, inductive charging is there's also opportunities, which we're um, putting in as part of our project, is where you have some of the static charging. So it could, in opportunities where you have the last mile deliveries, um, you could have one of those vehicles pull up. They need to get out of their vehicle, get a package or go in, you know, whatever their, their function is. And that vehicle can actually be sitting on that um, pad, that static charging pad, not plugged in, but on that pad and be receiving a charge at that point in time as well, which can be five minutes, 10 minutes. You know, again, we're extending the range. Um, in addition, transit, right? They have drop-off as a pickup. Um, sometimes they're stationary for a little bit longer if they're ahead of schedule, right? That's They don't want to be ahead of schedule and they don't want to be behind. So how do we use the technology in those instances to give them that extra charge? And then there's also the ability, you know, when you're going into, say, a, a transit depot is a, a good, or even um, if you're waiting, say, crossing the bridge um, to go, in our case, to go to Canada, um, opportunities where you can actually give those vehicles charge while they're um, in that stationary. So now they potentially have um, a lot more uh, charge. So when they do cross the bridge or they do, you know, go out um, for the transit run is that now they have um, a lot more battery, you know, capacity um, on those. So many different use cases that I think are, are really going to, you know, push the technology forward, right? And it's going to help push um, potentially that acceleration of the adoption. If we can provide, you know, reduce that anxiety and get people to understand that you can still function, do the same things you wanted. You don't have to be stressed about it. You don't have to be worried um, because everybody is. You know, we have a, a large effort going right now around Lake Michigan, you know, to put charging infrastructure in um, that's plug-in charging stations where people can go on vacation and be comfortable. Right. I can take my electric car and I can do my vacation and I can visit, you know, historical places or, you know, wherever the beach um, and have those opportunities. So those are the things that we're looking at, you know, here in the state of Michigan is is, you know, this pilot really will give us some and give us answers to those questions, but then also give us the answers to what are the standards and specifications that we need as a road agency um, to open this uh, open this opportunity up. Right. No matter who the company is. Um, there's different solutions, you know, Tim explained there's, there, there's others as well. So how do we make a specification and push the standard development um, from a federal perspective to this? So very happy to say we've actually integrated Federal Highway um, on the project and, you know, so that they can learn alongside um, ourselves in the city of Detroit as well to say, what, how do we do this? How does this deployment look from a much larger scale? We're going to learn things. Um, and that's what the beauty of a pilot is, is we have to learn. We have to get this understanding of what do we need and what does that more wide scale um, look like and what are the benefits associated to the cost with that? Yeah. And then, of well, course, we have all the legislative things that those guys mentioned, which that is what it is, you know, in my world, that's got to run its course as well. And Michelle, to your point there, uh, you mentioned several curb management and bridge management approaches. And I want to make the point that I feel like it's very important that we don't focus on single technologies 
um, but instead look at the entire stack of technologies that are required for advanced mobility. Because if we go back to the curb management use cases that you described, well, what if we set up a static charge system um, you know, alongside the curb, and then somebody that does not have a wirelessly charged compatible vehicle stops there. If we only have the charger, then Jeremy's system might think that the charger is available when it's not. But if we have sensors in the roadway that can determine that there's a vehicle parked in that spot, even if it's not compatible with the charge system, we know that it's occupied. Or if we have vehicles that are looking to cross a bridge and they're getting wirelessly charged on the approach. And then we can weigh that vehicle at the same time that it's charging and we know how much capacity the bridge has. Or if these vehicles are stopped at an intersection, they're charging at the intersection and they need to offload diagnostic data mm -hmm. um, to the edge, to the cloud, to the commercial fleet manager, to the automaker, they're going to need that sort of communications. or. Um, you know, connected signals and um, dynamic signal systems may need to communicate the signal timing back to the vehicles so that they can optimize their charge patterns. There's all of these emergent needs that tell us if we're already absorbing the cost of rebuilding the road, we should not be rebuilding the road to get one capability. We should be rebuilding the road to get all the capabilities that we know that these advanced vehicles need. And at the same time, when we're going into a difficult environment, maybe it's an urban area that has utilities under it. Maybe it's a bridge where servicing that um, bridge approach is going to shut down the entire bridge for however long. We need a modular system that is prefabricated in the factory. It has all of the capabilities and technologies built in. And that way, when you have to get into that dense urban environment or that important bridge, you're shutting it down for the bare minimum amount of time to pull out one unit and pop in another unit so that you don't have these extended in-place construction techniques that we've become you know, so accustomed to, but at the same time are so wildly outdated versus what's possible. Yeah, it is, point. and I, I think that brings really interesting points, Tim, and, and they're great points, to be honest, right? And it's really that mobility and safety effort that we're continually working for. Um, and how do we do How do we do we more, right? How do we provide the services to our citizens um, to get them the best experience the safest way? So, I mean, those are, are great points and definitely areas, as you, you know, are well familiar with that we're working in most of those spaces already. Um, and now it's really understanding from the infrastructure side, how do you bring it all together? But then not only that, how do you, own, how do you operate and maintain all of it, right? Um, right. Installation for Department of Transportation is, is one topic. A bigger topic is really um, operations and then maintenance is huge. You know, and we, we have to start as part of this pilot to understand what is that maintenance, right? What is the maintenance of this type of roadway? How do you budget for it? You know, and how do you get services to sustain that, right? We don't have an employee base um, to necessarily do that in-house. So these are all contracted services that we have to understand as a DOT. What, is that, what does that model look like? And what are those requirements associated to it? So great points. Yeah, Jeremy, you had mentioned uh, cars have to be modified for this. Uh, I imagine it's not all that uh, difficult to make uh, electric cars capable uh, for inductive charging. Depends on who you talk to. So <laughs> we we were handed a car 
keys to a Mach-E and three weeks later turned it into a wireless powered vehicle that could do stationary and also dynamic roadway technology as well. So that is pretty unique for a company to be able to do that. Usually you would see that would take years of advanced R&D to be able to do something like that. So yeah, I I think it matters who you're going with. And the second part about uh, some of these things have been talked about just even right before this, we have to also consider what grid source is being powered into this thing. So actually the really unique uh, tangential thing that happens with wireless roadway technology is that you can use it as basically basically an accessory to the use case complementary for a renewable roadway. You should be driving really on solar and, and or some other renewable source because it's the cheapest way to do it. And the other part is, is that these big grid companies and utilities, there's a long window of time to be able to bring power of the megawatt capacity to a roadway area where you could have access to just to general, you know, generally be able to get it out to the roadway. If you, if you did this with solar along the, the side of a road, uh, especially if they're in interconnecting highways and between cities and in states, then you you really justify not only the the wireless roadway itself, but the use case for for renewables becomes much more unique. And and the final thing is is that stationary charging doesn't have to be unidirectional. It doesn't have to only be with wireless charging that it's powering the car. With our wireless charging system, you can power back into the grid. So you could drive home on your commute every single day, and then take that vehicle to your house and power your house for the rest of the night off of renewable energy that you just picked up while driving basically on solar on the, on the way home and be able to really see uh, that your, your entire footprint as an impact is, is, is much larger. And that's a way to quickly distribute renewable power uh, around a grid system is actually with, a mo- with mobility of electric vehicles. And Jeremy, I I have to interrupt. We're out of time. I hate saying that. This has been so exciting to talk about. And I know we've barely scratched the surface, but Jeremy McCool, Michelle Mueller, Tim Sylvester, thank you so much. I know you've whetted the appetite of the audience because you sure got me interested in all of this. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michelle, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you. AutoLine this week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode.